Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today is Monday, July 18th, episode 99. So we're one away from the big 100, and it looks like that momentous episode will be an interview with Bruce Fenton, who's running for U.S. Senate in New Hampshire. Fenton was recently interviewed by Stuart Varney on Fox Business, and when Varney heard some of his positions, including ending the Fed, and suggested that Mr. Fenton was a Trump supporter, Fenton said, no, I'm more inspired by Ron Paul. So I'll be very interested to talk to him and see what his campaign's all about, what his chances are, and get some details about his background. So that'll be on Wednesday for episode 100 of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. And then later in the week, I'll have Scott Horton on, and we're going to catch up on all things foreign policy with the Ukraine war and all of the other no good that our government is up to overseas. But today I wanted to talk about something related to that, and that is the plethora of articles that have come out recently, I'd say over the last month or so, about the recruiting problems that the U.S. military is supposedly having. They're not meeting their quotas for new enlistments in every branch of the service, says the media. And of course, we're supposed to believe this is a big crisis, but of course, this is not a crisis. In fact, we need a lot less people to join the military. I'd say we need nobody to join the military until it's shrunk in size quite a bit. Now, I know I'll hear from people that are either in the military, have been, or their families, oh, you don't understand, they're under such stress. And I don't dispute that. And that's because they're being deployed all over the world to do all kinds of things we don't need them to do. And in fact, that makes our lives worse than if they just didn't join at all. And that's just the hard truth. I know everyone likes to think that they're politically incorrect. Well, let me tell you something. There's nothing more politically incorrect than saying that we have to cut the military quite a bit. And it's really just the plain truth. Now, 
I'm basing that on the fact that we have 200,000, a little over 200,000 troops deployed overseas outside of U.S. borders. For what reasons, I don't know. I know how they got there, which is that those are troop levels that have been maintained since the end of World War II, tens of thousands in Japan, Okinawa, tens of thousands in Germany and Europe, tens of thousands on the demilitarized zone or on the border of it in South Korea. And we're led to believe that they're doing some kind of work that benefits us, but I just defy anybody to tell me what that is. Now, the ostensible reason these days and what we're going to hear about for the next several years or decades, as long as we let them get away with it, is that these troops are over there to protect Europe and Europe from Russia, and I would suppose Japan from China. But that's complete nonsense. You can't have a conventional war, like a World War II style war with Russia or China that ends in any way other than the losing side firing their nukes. That's just reality. If there were a war between two nuclear powers that was limited to a conventional war, well, that's how you know it's an unnecessary war. That's how you know that no one's survival, no country's survival or liberty is really at stake because if they don't fire their nukes before they lose, then they never had to fight in the first place. Do you follow what I'm saying? So this is really just one big ripoff. Think for a moment about the over-the-top reaction by the United States and its vassal allies in Europe to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, something the United States government has done routinely all of my life is invade some country that doesn't have nuclear weapons. Do you notice that? Those are the countries that get invaded, the ones without nuclear weapons. You don't see nuclear powers fighting each other. So why did the United States not attack Russia? Because they have nuclear weapons. The United States, at least so far, in Joe Biden's addled brain, there's still one neuron firing that says we can't go to war with Russia because it only ends one way. So what are all those troops in Germany for if they're not there to defend Europe from Russia? Now, Now, Biden and the neocons would probably respond that Putin has not invaded a NATO country yet, at least not in name. I mean, Ukraine has been part of NATO for most of this century since the United States started overthrowing its government and putting in puppet leaders that are handpicked by the State Department. NATO has been drilling troops on Russia's border, sending weapons there long before this invasion happened. But At least on paper, Ukraine's not a NATO country. And I will admit that I was very surprised that Putin invaded. I suppose I shouldn't have been in hindsight. He had been asking for negotiations for most of the 21st century and been treated like second-rate power, a second-rate country, really, someone who was not due the respect of taking his security concerns seriously. I know somebody will say that's a Putin talking point. Well, if it is, it's true. But in any case, there's not going to be a war between the United States or NATO and Russia for that reason, because both powers are nuclear armed 
And so far, the leaders have at least that much responsibility not to do that. Now, will Putin move on after his victory in Ukraine? And there will be victory in Ukraine into an actual NATO country. I tend to doubt it for all the same reasons that Joe Biden has not sent U.S. troops into Ukraine. But let's say that he did. We'd have the same issue there. You cannot have a conventional war between nuclear powers unless that conventional war is a sham, something that's being put on by the governments to spend a lot of money and get a lot of friends rich. Because again, if your survival is at stake, then you're firing your nukes before you lose. And if your survival's not at stake, then this is just a big game for profit and power. Now, I want to just describe another angle of this colossal ripoff of the American taxpayer called the U.S. military. You know, its budget is over $800 billion a year. And just by comparison, Russia's budget is just over $80 billion per year with this new war that they have. So they spend about one-tenth of what the United States does, but somehow they're safe from the United States, but we're not safe from even North Korea, who spends $12 billion unless we spend 800 And when you go back and look at all the war years, this is another thing that I don't think a lot of people realize. The actual wars themselves didn't cost anywhere near that amount. You'd see spending at the very height at about $160 billion per year or so, back when they used to call the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan overseas contingency operations. And this was at a time when military spending was in the 600 billions. So not an insignificant chunk of spending, but the bulk of the money has always been to just maintain this worldwide standing army, these deployments of tens of thousands of troops around the world. Now, I know that they somewhat support hot wars going on maybe in the Middle East or what have you. But it's not like those troop levels went down when troops were sent into the Middle East. So what are these people doing? What benefit are we deriving from this? Most of the income tax, by the way, goes to the Social Security is funded by a separate funding stream, and so is Medicare on payroll taxes. So most of the actual income tax that people pay goes towards the military. So without this monstrosity that we're maintaining worldwide, we could pay a lot less in income taxes. And this is basically just to warehouse people in these foreign countries. Again, this is not 1945. It's not like we couldn't have sent troops directly to the Middle East, which we did in most cases. It certainly didn't help the efforts in the Middle East, obviously, to have 40,000 soldiers in Okinawa. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here at Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts a couple of ways by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts of every episode as well as access to my members-only MeWe group. 
or become an all-access patron and get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos. You can even become a VIP patron to get all of that, plus a free copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there, and you can find links to all of the above at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. And again, we're going to hear about, oh, well, we've got China's in the ascendancy. China spends about one-fourth what the United States does. They're the closest competitor to the United States in military spending, and they're nowhere near. I think it's more like one-fifth, something like $160 billion a year compared to the 800 and some the United States spends. And most of China's spending in recent years has been a reaction to an aggressive U.S. foreign policy and openly talking about containing them and all sorts of other things. So again, I go back to how are American taxpayers, and I mean net taxpayers, I don't mean defense contractors, I mean the people who actually send more money to the government than they get back or get back nothing. How are they benefiting from all those troops stationed in Okinawa? Can you really come up with a plausible explanation for why they wouldn't be better off if those troops were sent home and discharged from the military and those taxes not taken from their paychecks next year? Now, the first answer you'll hear, again, from the neocon sector that people just swallow hook, line, and sinker, no matter how many times these people are wrong, by the way, is that China would fill the vacuum, whatever that means. Now, first, the vacuum assumes that there's some productive work being done by these people being over there, which there isn't, and that China, which has shown itself to be a lot smarter than this, while the United States has been throwing trillions and trillions of dollars down the toilet in completely failed wars in the Middle East, the state-directed capitalist Chinese have been building roads and making deals and making investments and building ports and building railways. And is that the kind of economy that I would like to see for the United States? No, it's way too much government involvement, but it's a lot better than just blowing up towns and rebuilding them. So this whole China would fill the vacuum or Russia and China would fill the vacuum, let them. If they're dumb enough to do that, it's not like they haven't been able to move forward economically while the United States was filling the vacuum. That doesn't seem to have interfered with them at all. Russia has very low debt, something like 15 or 30% of GDP, where the United States is 130% of GDP. And until this Ukraine invasion, neither country had shown any aggression towards anybody else. And I would argue that if you use the standards that Washington, D.C. uses as far as starting a war is concerned, 
then you got a real tough case to make that Russia did anything different than Washington has. I'd say Russia was a lot more justified in invading Ukraine than the United States was in invading Afghanistan or bombing Libya or invading Syria. And that's not to say that the invasion was justified. I think Russia did have some options before it sent troops into Ukraine, especially these economic sanctions, because if they don't turn this pipeline back onto Germany, you're going to see a lot of pain in Europe over the next 10 days, because right now the Nord Stream pipeline is shut down for maintenance. It's supposed to be down for 10 days. That was expected. We're going to see if it gets turned back. But getting back to this recruiting problem, we do have a recruiting problem, and the problem is that the United States military is still recruiting more people. It should be losing troops by attrition. And in an ideal world, you would trim down the size of the military to something that's defensive and where only the true warriors are left. And let's face it, there's all different kinds of people in the world. Some people are just born to be fighters. And those are the people you want in the military. And in case there ever was a justified war, and again, I don't think there ever will be a justified conventional war due to nuclear weapons, those are the people you want in the military to train the rest of us, the real natural-born killers, for lack of a better word. And a while back, I had written an article that the Ron Paul Institute was kind enough to reprint called A Grassroots Foreign Policy. And basically, I said this, if you want to change U.S. foreign policy, you can do it. Everybody listening to this podcast can play a role, and that is to just not join the military. And more importantly, if you're a parent, to encourage your children to not join the military. We need to shrink the military considerably. And when you're 18 years old, you don't have the life perspective. You're more susceptible to the kind of propaganda the patriotic sales pitch that they give you. And if jobs are hard to find in your area, that's an easy way to become employed, almost guaranteed, and have a steady job is to join the military. Plus, you get all kinds of perks, which are also things we have to eliminate. On one hand, we're talking about making taxpayers pay all these student loans for people who can't pay them back, who took out loans to go to college. On the other hand, we're giving free college and the taxpayers have to pay for that as well to entice people to join the military, which again, we need to shrink the military. So I'll post a link to that article that I wrote called A Grassroots Foreign Policy. And I hope you take it to heart. I'm sure I've already lost a couple hundred subscribers for this podcast, but I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. We've got to get out of this childish notion that somehow or other this 1945 gargantuan military is benefiting us in some way. It's not. We'd all be a lot better off if it was cut in half, if we stopped intervening in the affairs of other countries. It's not just the military. The State Department's got to be gutted as well. Everybody in it fired and restaffed with people who actually want to do diplomacy, not just act as a home base for the CIA to go in and overthrow governments and do all kinds of other meddling in other people's countries. And the key to that is to face reality.
to face the reality that, no, we're not freer because the government invaded Vietnam. We lost that war anyway. So if our freedom was at stake, then it's gone. It was gone after Vietnam. But in fact, no, we were a lot freer when we stopped fighting the war in Vietnam. We're not freer because we invaded Afghanistan, which, as you can see, after 20 years, the same government is in power as the one that was there when we got there in 2001. We're not freer because we invaded Iraq. None of this has benefited any American net taxpayer. In fact, we'd be a lot freer if we never fought any of those wars. Syria, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, Yugoslavia, you name it. We got to stop repeating these dumb, childish talking points every holiday that rolls around, thanking the troops for our freedom. We don't have freedom because of the troops. No war fought in my lifetime has made any Americans freer. I'm sorry if that's tough love. That's just the way it is. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll know I'm right. Think it through, pick a war, and say, what if it was never fought? How would we be less free? You'd be more free. You'd have a lot more of your money left over to maybe send your kid to college instead of borrowing that money and then not being able to pay it back. Okay, folks, so for everybody who's left that still subscribes to the podcast, I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Don't forget that if you haven't done so already, check out my Substack and also my Patreon. You can find those both on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom slash support. You can also download a free copy of my ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.